0: Recovery Elevator, episode 407.
1: I mean, it's like I said, I didn't want to wait until I lost everything. I didn't want to be in DTs or, you know, God forbid I went drunk driving and killed somebody or went to prison or went through a divorce even or lost my kids or or my business failed or or whatever, you know? Why do I have to go through that crap to change my life
0: and to get sober? Uh, Like this? Yeah, that should work. Mix down. (laughs) Yeah, keep going. Yo, yo. Mix down. Three, four. Yo, yo. Wiki, wiki. Three. Mix down. There we go. Seven, eight. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. Guys in the house. (laughs) I love it. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. There we go. Three, four. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill, and I'm so excited to be here with you today. Listeners on today's podcast, we have Jeff. He's 48 years old, from Joplin, Missouri, and at the time of the recording, he has 13 days away from his last drink. Great job, Jeff. On January 1st, we have our 30-day Intensive Dry January course. 2023 is New Year. Let's get it started right. We meet 14 times in January. Classes are Sundays at 1 p.m. Eastern, then Mondays and Thursdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. You're going to start and end this course with a cohort full of people Just like you who have reached the conclusion that alcohol has to go all sessions are live and you can watch the recordings if you miss a session this course is not 12-step based but we do cover if aa is right for you go to recoveryelevator.com forward slash restore for the course outline and there is a link in the show notes thank you robin and speaking of robin i want to welcome robin to the team she is a sober rock star and she is volunteering for the show notes position Thank you so much, Robin. I wanna say thank you to all of our Cafe chat hosts. Y'all do such an incredible job. And before we get any further, let's hear from an incredible sponsor, Exact Nature.
2: We are thrilled to partner with Exact Nature because we are committed to the same goal, to help you quit drinking. Exact Nature's safe, all-natural CBD-based products can aid your alcohol-free journey. If you struggle with sleep, Cravings, mood swings, and high stress levels, learn more about how Exact Nature can help you at exactnature.com. Recovery Elevator listeners will receive 20% off their orders by using the code RE20. That's RE20 at exactnature.com.
0: Okay, let's get started. Today's intro is a message to big alcohol. This is the first podcast episode directed towards big alcohol in 407 episodes. Why now and not before? Well, we have a limited time together in each episode, and I feel a better use of our time is discussing how to build a new life that no longer requires alcohol, instead of fighting Big Alcohol, or fighting the past. In fact, thank you Big Alcohol for giving me the life I have today. Yes, I nearly died drinking your product, as you're selling the most addictive drug on the planet, but I would not have the life I have today had it not have been for my addiction to alcohol. But... Here we are, and I want to call out a couple things regarding Big Alcohol, and maybe there's a way we can work together. So to start, let's get real for a second, Big Alcohol. We both know your business model does not survive off normal drinkers. Your lights are on, your doors are open, salaries are paid because of problematic, aka alcoholic drinkers. This is called the 80-20 rule in business, and for Big Alcohol, it's probably a 90-10 rule, possibly 95-5 rule. So this means that 90% of revenues are coming from 10% of customers. Let's take a normal drinker for a second. This is someone who buys a six pack of, let's say Coors Light, drinks two to three beers, and the remaining three to four cans sit in the refrigerator in the garage for the next three to four weeks or a couple months, whatever. So this is one type of drinker. Then take the alcoholic or the problematic drinker. This is someone who buys a 12. 18, 24-pack, or 30-pack of Coors Lights daily? Where do you think the revenue is coming from? This question is rhetorical because they already know this. I'm bringing this up because there needs to be accountability. And I'll wrap this intro up with some ideas. So yes, it's the individual who is drinking excessively, but the data and science support that alcohol is the most dangerous and addictive drug on the planet. In fact, it kills more people each year than every other drug combined. That's crazy to even wrap your head around. An estimated 40 to 70% of occupied hospital beds have underpinnings to alcohol. In 2012, a doctor named Dr. David Nutt was hired by the British government who was tasked to put a harm score on the world's 20 most addictive drugs. Guess what came in at number one? Yes, it was alcohol. In 1958, the American Medical Association classified addiction, alcoholism as a disease. In addition, no amount of alcohol consumed in any amounts is beneficial to the consumer. This is a huge myth that big alcohol tries to perpetuate as it's in their best interest to do so. In the mid 2010s, the government funded agency, the NIAAA, this is the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, performed a study to see if alcohol consumption in any amount was good for you, and the answer came back with a yes. However, it then became known that the study was funded by Big Alcohol. No surprise the answer was yes, when in reality, and this is fact, no quantity of ethanol is good for you. The Huberman Lab podcast recently did a couple months ago a fantastic episode about the effects of alcohol on your mind and body. The Stanford University neuroscientist confirms that no amount of alcohol is good for you. Let's talk trash, garbage, or waste. A couple months ago, I had new brakes installed on my vehicle, and I rode my bike home from the mechanic after dropping off my car. I took a scenic county road home for about seven miles. While hugging the side of the road, I was astonished by the amount of empty alcohol containers that littered the shoulder. Keep in mind, this was the part of the grass that had been cut or maintained. I'm guessing there was triple or quadruple the amount of empty bottles and cans in the taller grass. Now to be fair listeners, I did see empty Gatorade bottles and trash that was not related to alcohol, but I would say it was a 10 to one ratio. I'd estimate there was an empty alcohol container every 100 feet and that's a safe estimate. With some easy math, that puts 52 bottles or cans every mile totaling over 350 pieces of trash on my seven mile bike ride. That figure is way higher if one were to walk through the taller grass. This past October, I did a retreat in Peru. One of our tasks was to pick up trash around a sacred temple about 20 miles outside of Cusco, which was the capital of the Inca empire. We filled about four trash bags and again, about a 10 to one ratio of alcohol containers to other trash. Big alcohol's footprint is all over the globe, societal wreckage, physical disease, and especially in the form of excessive trash waste. Oh yeah, on the bike ride home from the mechanic was also a broken fender in the grass. I don't know the full story there, but I do know that drunk drivers are shitty drivers. As human beings, there is a goal that many of us share. That is to make this world a better place. I have that same goal. This podcast for me is part of that goal. Big Alcohol, let me ask you this question. Are you making the world a better place? What impact are you having on society? on the fabric of family systems. Are you adding or subtracting to this world? Are you a net benefit or a net drain? What do you stand for, Big Alcohol? Are you okay with your customers throwing your product into nature, into my backyard, into your own backyard? Your name, your brand, Your message is on these containers that end up in our streams, rivers, and oceans. As far as I'm concerned, you're still tied to the product, but you're not shouldering the burden after the monetary transaction has taken place. And this needs to change. Big Alcohol, I have been cleaning up my internal wreckage and chaos for the past decade. It's time you start doing the same. Now, big alcohol, let me make this clear. It is not my goal to fight big alcohol. Again, that's not the best use of my time or the time with the listener. And if you are a normal drinker, drink one for me. And again, my battle with alcohol, alcoholism, made me who I am today. It was the invitation for me to step into a more authentic life. Thank you, alcohol. However, I do want big alcohol to help clean up this mess. I'm calling for Big Alcohol to clean up their mess. A disproportionate amount of trash on this planet in nature is yours. It's the right thing to do, to pick it up. Now, we have a yearly service project at Recovery Elevator, and we'd love your help. Maybe take one half of a percentage point of your marketing budget and help us out. So Big Alcohol, if you do want to work with us and we are open to it, the email address is info at And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp, before we hear from Jeff.
2: Have you ever wished that there was a manual for life and sobriety? I don't know how long you've been listening to this show, but I even wrote an episode intro on this topic titled, There Is No Manual. I remember going to treatment and seeking for the manual on how to fix myself. Tell me what steps to take. I'll take them and voila, I'll be as good as new. Boy, was I wrong. Therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and learn productive coping skills. They basically assist in creating your own personalized manual, your tool belt. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com/elevator. That's betterhelp h e l p.com/elevator.
0: Jeff, how are you? I'm doing well
1: today, thanks.
0: Yeah, Jeff, it's great to be here with you. I'm excited to learn more about your story. Jeff, let's get right into this. When was your last drink? 13 days ago, uh, September 22nd. All right. Okay. 13 days. Fantastic job. I'm excited to hear more about your story, how you logged your, those 13 days, what led you up to decision to ditching the booze, whether it was 13 days ago, well before that, it's been a work in progress. We're going to learn all about that. Um, but Jeff, let's learn a little bit more about you first. Give listeners some background about yourself. Tell us where you're from, your age, what do you do for a living? Do you have a family? And, and what do you like to do for fun?
1: I live in Joplin, Missouri currently. I've been here about 20 years. Um, I grew up in North Carolina, and I have a wife and three kids. Moses is six, Esther is four, and Arlo is eight months old. Yeah. And I like to, I like to play golf in my downtime. It really helps me relax and just enjoy nature. I like reading and writing, and, and, and I do play music as well.
0: Okay. What kind of music do you play? Or what instruments?
1: The first instrument I learned how to play was harmonica and then I quickly learned it's not really conducive to writing songs and I wanted to write more so I started learning guitar so I played both of those.
0: Yeah, okay. Do you write songs?
1: I've written a lot of songs. I don't play as much anymore since I got a family and
0: a business. But yeah,
1: I've written a lot of songs. I did a lot I've done poetry since I was in high school, so Okay. and, and creative writing.
0: Yeah, and, and earlier you said you like to read. What kind of stuff do you like to read?
1: Oh man, I read all kinds of stuff. I typically don't read fiction, although you know I do. I've read stuff like Lord of the Rings, and you know, but I tend to read philosophy, history, stuff like that. So I tend to read a lot of nonfiction.
0: Yeah, I I'm with you on that. But every like tenth book or so, I need to throw in a Dan Brown or a Hunger <laughs> yeah. Games to just to just zone out and go for it. Well, great, Jeff. As I said, I'm excited to be here with you. Uh, We are just two people who decided to quit drinking. Our stories are different, but there's a lot of similarities. And I'm excited to share your story, and you might learn a a little bit more about mine as well, with, with listeners. You ready to do this? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, my man. Jeff, when did you first recognize that alcohol was no longer serving you? Was it 13 days ago? I'm guessing it wasn't. Um, You know, when did you start drinking? Let's just, uh, let's just get into it. Sometimes I don't know where the entry point is, but I'll let you start. First time I started
1: drinking was in my house with my best friend. I think we were both 17 or 18. We got some vodka and made some, you know, vodka, orange juice, screwdrivers. And, you know, we had a great time just sitting around laughing and and uh, being silly, teenagers, you know, I didn't really get into drinking until I was 21 after that. I mean, there were parties in high school, you know, where you drink a little bit here and there. But it was really once I turned 21, it was like, well, now I can do whatever I want. Legally, I can go into a bar, and, you know, and everybody, you know, my older brother drank and a lot of the people I knew drank. And I, I kind of grew up in a pool hall when I was 15. And so I was around alcohol a lot. So that's kind of where I started, you know, and then there were periods in my 20s where I was like, hey, you know, I had somebody else say, man, you're drinking a lot. Or, you know, I would just have events happen where it was less because of alcohol, you know, like I got, can't go to work or whatever. Um, and, then, you know, I would quit for a while or, you know, or find some reason to cut back. And it wasn't like I always got drunk, but I I did enjoy drinking,
0: you know, sure. Jeff, let me ask you a question. When a friend in your 20s said, hey, Jeff, I I think you're drinking too much. Do you remember what your reaction was to that? How you responded?
1: There was something inside of me that like immediately took offense to it, you know? And then there was another side of me that kind of was like, I wonder why he would think that. Like, what am I doing? Am I doing something wrong? You know, is he right? You know, so there was a little bit of self-reflection there. But when you're that age, you're young and you don't have a lot of, I didn't have a lot of responsibilities and stuff you know, it's easier to like sort of just fumble through life, you know, when you don't have that many responsibilities.
0: Yeah, good point. You know, so Jeff, there, there, there's a major question out there is do I have a drinking problem or not? And, and probably a lot of those people who are listening now may be asking that question. Uh, I never thought of this, but that might be a way to address that question is when somebody tells you you have a drinking problem or they're worried about your drinking, your reaction right? I can imagine normal people hearing it in, with, well, wow, thank you for your concern. Okay. I need to make a change. Ooh, yeah, I, I see it. But I think if you do have a drinking problem, and this is from my personal experience as well, there were a couple of people and I was so good at hiding it, but I remember when they said, Hey Paul, uh, I know you don't remember last night or you probably don't, but, uh, you know, like, I think you got a problem. My response, even though I was very deep in alcoholism or whatnot, whatever you want to call it, Um, The response is almost like you said, defensive, right? Like, oh, like, I got offended. Whoa, what are you talking about? And I think that would be a good parameter, perhaps. I haven't explored this in much depth, but the responses when people confront you, um, because mine was similar to yours, and I've heard a lot of those as well. Okay, Jeff, and one more thing before we continue. You said, you know, you quit a little bit. I think that was in your 20s. Was that a challenge? Did you quit because there was was an issue? Um, Was it easier to quit in your 20s? And how long did you quit for?
1: I don't really remember. I mean, I've always sort of been more of a binge drinker, you know, where I'll drink for a few days, kind of more than I normally would. And then I just get back into normal life, you know, quote unquote. And, you know, I I think when there's compelling enough reasons, you cut back, you know, you start a new job, um, you get into a relationship or whatever, you know, there's, you don't want to let the monster out right <laughs> sure. right, um, right off the bat in and, and those kind of situations. And you find compelling reasons to to either cut back or stop, you know, and that was kind of my pattern for, for many years. I mean, I'd say two decades, you know, I kind of, there were those times where it was just like, okay, I probably need to
0: stop drinking so much, you know. Gotcha. It was almost like a self-regulating awareness. All right, you need to cut back. We're fine. Green light, red light. Did you ever have a moment there when you tried to cut back, um, and, and, and it, it wasn't possible? It became more challenging it, as in it progressed.
1: I would say recently, yeah. I remember when I when I lived in Colorado. I lived in Colorado for about three years when when I was like twenty six or something like that, and I became a ski instructor. And like I always like every day had clients afterwards wanting to buy me drinks. And it was just a daily thing. So I was working and drinking and the other ski guys, we would go out for beers too, you know? So I was just, there was just this pattern. That was the first time I had a real pattern in my life Hmm. of like living a normal life, but also just drinking a lot. And it was totally accepted because in that sort of environment, like people are on vacation, you know, 90% of them. And they just want to have a good time. So it's normal for them to be around, you know, people who are drinking, it's no big deal. But the people who live there, Like you're in that every day and it becomes sort of normalized. And that's what happened to me, you know, and there was no compelling reason because I could still go to work, you know, and everybody else did it. And it just became sort of normalized for me.
0: Sure. Yeah. That's another thing that's common that I hear. There's a period of your life where it's very normalized and a a higher and an exacerbated amount of drinking, whether you work in a bar, a restaurant, I used to own a bar um, and then coming out of that is, is difficult, right? Is, is, is the attributes of alcohol being quite addictive. So, so Jeff, you're 48, you got, you got 13 days away from alcohol, which is absolutely fantastic. One of my pet peeves doing recovery elevator or cafe RE when people say I only have X amount of days. I've only got two or three or 13 or 30 any day away from alcohol is absolutely fantastic. So I hope you recognize that, but, uh, yeah, lead us up to what happened to, uh, to, mm-hmm. to, to springboard you forward into 13 days. Yeah, I don't use that
1: kind of language because I I know the first part is the toughest, you know, because your body physically is being detoxed and it still has that intense craving, you know. I think over the past couple of years, you know, being married, I've been married for nine years. okay, congrats. And uh, like I said, I have three kids and I just noticed, you know, there were times when I was isolating myself, like my wife would go to bed and I would stay up and I'm just drinking, you know, or watching Netflix and just And I never really get drunk, but I have that buzz going, you know, it's like, it's almost like I live for that part of the day Mm -hmm. to, to, you know, kick back a few beers and just sit there and do nothing. But then in the morning, you know, it's like, well, I can't help my kids get ready for school the way that I should. And so I'm putting this, you know, burden on my wife, you know, and I've noticed there's been, you know, little burdens here and there. Sometimes it's from what she says. And sometimes it's just, I can see it with my own eyes, you know, and I'm like, this is not good, you know? And I just found that it got me in this cycle where I'm like, I'm getting malnourished, you know, because I'm not, that's what alcohol does to you. It, 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 uh, it robs you of the good stuff that's in your body. And so you, the next day you're grumpy, you know, because physically you don't feel as good as you could and you take it out on your kids and your wife. And so there's been a lot of those moments where I'm like yelling at my kid and I'm just like, where's that coming from? The kid didn't do anything that extreme, you know, for that response, the response was out of proportion to what the child did. And same with my wife, you know, and she has said some things about my drinking in the past year, like, Hey, you know, you're, you bought a a whole bottle of wine and you just drank it by yourself, you know, which to me, I'm like, (laughs) no big deal, you know? So, you know, I feel like I've been awakening to the fact that I'm not being the father that I should be or the husband that I should be, you know? And so, Sometimes it's easier, like I said, when you have more responsibility, it's easier to recognize that you are neglecting things. It was so in my case anyways, as you know, I'm not that free spirited 20 year old who doesn't have to answer to anyone. And there's the, the consequences are more on me than anybody
0: else. But now that totally changed with children and life. Yeah. Jeff, would you consider, did you have a rock bottom moment 13 days ago? Not really. I mean, I you know, I've, I've been going to AA
1: and I have a sponsor and he's, you know, I've told him my, parts of my story and he's like, you're what they call a high bottom drunk, you know, or alcoholic or whatever. You know, I decided to get off the merry-go-round before I lost everything. Earlier this year, I went, let me just tell you a little bit of backstory. Absolutely. Um, I went on paternity leave when we had our last son in January and I was on, I was paid for th- three months you know, which is unheard of. So <laughs> that was awesome being on paternity leave. And I started driving for Uber just to make some extra cash at night. You know, my wife was in bed or whatever. And a couple months into that, I got shot at, right, by a guy who was on meth and had been drinking and he was bipolar. And the bullet went in my driver's side. Wow. And uh, I had really bad PTSD after that for yeah, a few bad. weeks maybe a month and my drinking just escalated because hmm. I couldn't sleep at night. You know, I was, you know, anxious during the day. I mean, I'm talking, I couldn't like, it would take me till four in the morning to go to sleep and then I got to get up at seven or eight, you know, and I quit Ubering. And so my drinking picked way up because it was the only way I could cope with all that, you know, there are, I, you know, that's the only skill that I, I felt was working, should I say, you know, And, uh, you know, I started seeing a counselor and then I noticed, I saw the counselor for PTSD, but then I noticed there's all this other stuff that's
0: buried. Ah, what was that like for you?
1: I mean, I knew it was there, but it's kind of like, it's like when you, it's like when you have a scab on your arm, you know, it's there and you know, there's some stuff that needs healing underneath it, but it's almost like taking the scab back and then you feel the pain Mm -hmm. and the you know, everything kind of comes out, you know, it was kind of that experience, which is like, oh man, I've been neglecting this stuff for years. There's a mess in there from my childhood. And, you know, the things that I've gone through that I've, I've just buried. And that's why I drank, you know, because I I grew up in a very dysfunctional, abusive household and I was never taught skills of expressing emotions in a healthy way. Sure. And and I'm carrying all those around with me to this day, you know, all that stuff. And, I drink because there's a lot of pain inside, you know, and I don't know how to process those emotions. And even when I get good emotions, I can't necessarily enjoy them the way that I should. It all has to go through that sort of messy filter that I inherited, you know,
0: Jeff, you articulated that in such a beautiful fashion. I think the last minute and a half or two minutes of what you're talking about was absolute gold is, <laughs> and I, I grew up in a family where I didn't quite know the skills to, to express these feelings and I've been carrying them my whole life up until today, alcohol was the coping mechanism or the medicine. Now, ho- hopefully, after this interview, Jeff, you're going to feel a little bit lighter. That's one reason I love doing interviews. I haven't shut the computer or, or turned or turn off the mic and said, ah, you know, I've, I've always felt lighter. So I, I think us talking is just going to move a little bit of that. There was a stress component in there that you mentioned. And I learned something on the Andrew Huberman podcast. And listeners, this guy is the man. He's not in recovery. But what he knows about the brain, neuroscience, dopamine, um, and, and, and about addiction is just incredible. And he talks about how stress at the baseline when we drink, not, not just alcoholics or people with the drinking problem, including normal drinkers, the hypothalamus, the pituitary gland, and the adrenal axis gets out of whack. And when you mentioned earlier, your response to, your, to I think a, a, one of your sons or, or a children or your child was out of balance, right? And that's what alcohol does to us. It ramps up that stress response, which is, which is painful. And the other thing I heard you say was you were shot at and you're drinking ramped up. I mean, that is major stress. Absolutely. PTSD. That is, that's existential, right? Anybody shoots at you, hits your driver's door. Um, Yeah. That will, that will make anybody want to escape in a, in a normal way. Um, Absolutely beautiful how you express that. And uh, how has it been this last, this last 13 days with, with without alcohol, imagine there's been stressful moments uh, you're living life and, and stress comes with life.
1: Well, you know, I, uh, I started a business three and a half months ago and my stress and responsibility level went up again, you know, and so did my drinking, you know, and I just, over the past few months of doing that and seeing these things kind of unfold, I sort of felt like this is unsustainable. You know, I can't run a business. I can't be a husband and a father and continue to drink the way I am. It's going to catch up to me and I I could lose it all, you know, and I don't want that to happen. And and more importantly, I don't want to not enjoy my kid's childhood and my marriage. I want to enjoy those things. And I just wasn't enjoying them. And uh, I can't say that there was one bright and shining moment, you know, Uh, 13 days ago, I just found myself driving to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting,
0: just kind of out of the blue. Wow. Was that your first one?
1: I had gone years and years ago, and I just kind of, at that point, I don't think I ever really believed deep down that I was an alcoholic, but I kind of went to check it out, you know what I mean, and see what it was about. And and I met a a lot of good people there, but there was a lot of miserable people there. (laughs) You know, yeah, they Uh, weren't drinking, but they were freaking miserable and angry and all the rest of it. And I just didn't want to be around that. And I just don't think I was ready either, you Mm -hmm. know, and that was when I was single still. You know, so like I said before, things change when you have a family, you know, it puts things in a totally different perspective. So 13 days ago, I just went to my first AA meeting and I went again that night and I've been going every day since, you know, sometimes twice a day.
0: Yeah. and And, and listeners, sometimes when we springboard into an alcohol free life, it is a rock bottom moment. And sometimes it's not. Um, and I agree with what your sponsor said. Yeah, perhaps a high bottom drunk, but there is the yet scale. Like this hasn't happened to be yet. And, and I know if I, if I continue to drink or I drink again, all those yets are going to be crossed, just knocked out of the park in, in a bad way. Yeah. Um, but I commend you on, on the insight, on the awareness that you had, because another commonality is there's, there's, there's a moment of clarity before we quit drinking. And I think you were able to see the writing on the wall. I heard the word sustainable, <laughs> like the gig is up. It It just can't continue this way. And yes, we can wait till the external environment crashes into us, gives us a fiery rock bottom moment that's extremely painful, sometimes physical, usually it's mental, or we can see the writing on the wall and make a proactive change, which is, which is actually the harder route to go, Jeff. That's why when I hear that story. Of, you know, I just I could see it where it was going, and I made a change. To be honest with you, that wasn't my that wasn't my story. I always had to wait till the dui, which I did get a couple months before I quit drinking. Um, an extremely painful moment a couple days before my sobriety date. Yeah, so I'll give you props. And listeners, if you're listening, wondering, well, you know, I I can't quit drinking. I need a rock bottom moment, perhaps but you've got Jeff right here who who laid it out in such a beautiful fashion. And I would even go back to listen to that part that I said was solid gold a couple of times. And, and hear how he said that it's recognizing that with awareness. And that's the word that they use in the East. And we use it a lot now in the West is awareness. And I've once heard that all you need to do or all you need to have to ditch an addiction, even a disease and inflammation, really any mental health disorder is awareness. Yeah, that sounds a little mystical and woo and out there, but really what awareness is, is taking your flashlight of awareness or your energy and going inside instead of external previously we'd go external for wholeness. It's taking that energy and going inside. I absolutely love that Jeff. So, so how are you staying sober when these 13 days you said you go to AA, right? You work with a sponsor. Has that been really helpful for you?
1: I haven't worked with them a lot. I mean, we've only met like twice. Um, we're going to meet again, um, either tonight or tomorrow, you know, and, and, uh, One of the things that I found for myself is just staying busy. I remember the first few days when I quit drinking. I mean, I was used to drinking to go to sleep. So suddenly I had a problem because, you know, that's when I could still drink because my wife's in bed. She's a school teacher. She has to get up early. You know, the kids are in bed. I can do what I want to a certain extent, but I didn't want to let my thoughts just wander and I didn't want to just sit there and watch Netflix and, and, and just vegetate, you know. So, I would go out in my garage. I cleaned my garage like that first week. I, I refinished. Uh, we had this vintage coffee table. I took it out to my garage. I sanded it. i refinished it. It looked beautiful. I felt good about myself. And I also was just staying busy. And there's been all these little projects I've been doing like that. The AA group that I go to, I built them two brand new wooden benches because the ones they had were just about to fall apart. I mean, they were. <laughs> Probably 30 years old, you know, and uh, just staying busy and giving to others has been huge for me. Alcoholic personalities, like our biggest enemy sometimes is just our own mind, you know, because we can convince ourselves of all kinds of things and we can get our mind going into guilt, you know, or shame or all these things. And for me, just, I knew that. I knew those traps. And I'm like, I'm not going to let my mind take over. I'm going to keep busy. I'm going to make something with my hands. And there's something about working with your hands that just, you know, it relieves stress. And it helps you to just process things. You know, I wouldn't be actively thinking about my alcoholism or problems, but, you know, stuff would pop up as I'm, you know, doing the work. And I'm, I find that, I'm, hey, I'm, I'm actually processing what's going on. Not by sitting there and thinking about it, but by actually just moving forward, you know, moving forward towards something. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to be something deep. It can be just making benches, you know? Yeah,
0: Jeff, I love that there. There's a couple things that I want to cover there. Um, The first one was the pace. I think this is a similar trajectory with a lot of people who could quit drinking, including myself. At first I could not sit still. It would not have been healthy for me on day one. To instill a mindfulness practice or to really go deep in meditation. I started running. It's like, oh, I have to keep moving. I cannot sit here. And then I think there's a trajectory where I'm at now. Yeah, we actually have a mindfulness course in Cafe RE. I'm taking it. And Patrick is the teacher. Patrick Foley's doing an incredible job. And now is the time that I really want to develop a mindfulness practice. But at first, no way. Keep busy. The second thing that I love that you said was being of service. Like you, you made your AA clubhouse, some chairs, some benches, um, getting outside of your head. And the third thing I want to comment is just that, getting outside of your head, you recognized the thinking was a trap. There's no way you can think yourself out of this. And even there, right there's huge, Jeff, because not a lot of people get there when quitting drinking. Um, what I mean when I say get there is recognizing their thoughts are A, separate from them and B, leading them down an undesirable path. It's not working in your favor. So fantastic how you said that and Jeff, let me ask you this what are you what are you quitting drinking for
1: um, you know, I kind of said this earlier, but I just want to enjoy life more you know it's really that simple i i i'm you know I have so many good things going on. I have a beautiful wife, I have awesome children, and I have a business that's taken off and thriving you know and uh I just wasn't enjoying it, <laughs> none of those things. You know, because I've got these emotions that I haven't processed. And so I want to live a fuller life and I don't want to be held back by an addiction. It's just that simple. And I know it's leading me down a path of darkness and destruction.
0: Jeff, how much were you drinking before you quit 13 days ago?
1: (sighs) You know, I have a high tolerance. So like I said, I was never getting drunk, really. I mean, I think I've been drunk three or four times in like four, you know, three or four years, you know. But I would sit down and I'd, I usually drank IPAs, which was a little stronger. And I'd drink those like big cans of them. And I'd drink three or four of those in a night, or I'd drink a, a, bo- a whole bottle of wine. Um, but, I mean, that was, or, and sometimes a few beers after that. I mean, it
0: was just. Sure. Did you physically detox a bit?
1: I think so. I mean, I wasn't to the point in my alcoholism where I was having DTs or shakes or any of that stuff, you know. But I remember the other night I was watching something on Netflix. And they were drinking on the show, and I felt this like intense physical craving. Oh, uh, okay. You know, to just consume alcohol. Yeah. You know, and uh, I think you know to go back to the staying busy. I think there's a very practical, physiological thing that's going on that you need to put something in place of. You know, and that running for you, or you know, working with my hands for me helps just not think about. And it also helps, I mean, you're getting releasing endorphins, right? And so those cravings are not, you know, going to be as bad as if you're sitting still and, and stuck in your
0: thoughts. Sure. Sure. And I second the working with your hands component. I recently got four goats, Jeff, and I built them. I built them all kinds of ramps, a <laughs> little house, little play toys. And it's been really fun to work with my, you know, with drills and, and saws and cutting with wood and I really like that. And you can see a finished product at the end. So I'm going to keep doing that and hope you do. Jeff, let's go with the last five years. This 13 days away from alcohol. Are you in uncharted territory or have you been here before? I've quit
1: before, sometimes for months at a time. You know, I, when I moved here from Colorado, I was staying with my dad and he was, he's a pastor. And so he doesn't believe, and he's from that branch of belief that doesn't think drinking in any capacity is good, you know? And so, you know, I, and I lived with him for a few years. And then there were times I went out when I felt like I could get away with it and did some drinking, you know, but I I feel like I'm still at the point where I could quit for, you know, who knows how long, but there have been times when I was like, okay, I'm not going to drink again until the weekend. And then the next day I was drinking, you know, so it's hard to say how much at this point I still can control it. I, I know that I can quit on my own. But for how long, I don't know, you know, because yeah. um, I think there's an emotional dependency there that's even stronger than the physical for me. Sure. You know, that's which is not true for everybody.
0: Yeah. And Jeff, let me let me ask you this. And, and the answer really doesn't matter. But would you consider yourself an alcoholic or somebody who has a drinking problem? <sighs> that's an interesting distinction. I know that, you know, when I first met with my sponsor
1: the other day, I expressed to him that I still had doubts, you know, and he's like, well, we don't have to continue with this, you know, you're, you're a guy I'd like to know we can hang out, whatever, you know, but he's like, this program is only going to work for people who are convinced. You know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, that night I went on YouTube and I, I was like, I typed in, you know, are, am I an alcoholic, you know, and I, I brought up this, this drug specialist therapist specifically with alcoholics and drug addicts. And she's like, here's a checklist of 11 things. If you have six or more of them, you have a drinking problem or you are an alcoholic. And like all 11 of them were me on some level, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, there's resources out there that can sort of help you figure if you can't, because a lot of us can't figure it out on our own. And one of the things I know, I mean, I grew up with alcoholics and drug addicts. I know that we are masters of convincing ourselves of things that aren't true. You know, we're masters of it. And so... No one's going to quit until they're really ready. And that takes, you know, really convincing themselves that, hey, I do have a problem. Hey, I am an alcoholic. And we can deceive ourselves about that for years. And, and you know, we have what's called high functioning alcoholics, which is really a misnomer. They aren't functioning. They're making it through, but they're not really functioning like everyone else is. You know, it, being miserable and emotionally empty is not <laughs> functioning.
0: Yeah. I think that line functioning, high functioning, alcoholic is only true to the external view, right? Yeah. On the outside, they're doing okay. Their job, their job isn't struggling, whatnot. They're holding it all together, but usually inside it's absolutely chaos (laughs) and it's not working on the inside and inside it's not functional. There's no harmony. Uh, Yeah. There, there, there's no, it's just not working. Um, Jeff, and let me ask you another question. And again, I don't think the, the answer really matters that much to this because really at the end of the day, it's just one day at a time. Uh, And, and, uh, but is it, is it different this time? Is this for good? Um, Do you have a long-term goal of sobriety in mind? I don't. I mean,
1: I haven't really thought that far ahead. I mean, I'm just trying to make the most of today, you know, what's right in front of me. I know for right now, I don't want to drink anymore. I mean, who knows? I may convince myself in a month from now, I'm not an alcoholic. And that may be true or maybe the worst <laughs> conclusion ever. Sure. You know, um, I mean, it's like I said, I didn't want to wait until I lost everything. I didn't want to be in DTs or, you know, God forbid I went drunk driving and killed somebody or went to prison or went through a divorce even or lost my kids or or my business failed or or whatever, you know. Why do I have to go through that crap to change my life and to get sober? Right now, I want to be sober, and I want to learn to process my emotions without alcohol. So I'm just trying to do that one day, the one day that's right in front of me when I wake up.
0: Jeff, your goal of processing your emotions without alcohol, I think, is one of the most noble and courageous goals that any human being can partake, drinking problem or not. There's a line that's very contemporaneous in Western societies. Oh, I need a drink. <laughs> it's five o'clock somewhere, right? Things like that. Alcoholics aside, people always uh, people reach for external substances to process internal. Emotions, eternal discomfort, um and I think it's a badass move, drinking problem or not. And good luck with that. It's um as Buddha said, we all must make this river crossing of consciousness, and you can't do it with external substances or alcohol. Let's go with that. This podcast is about alcohol. you just you just can't do it with that. yeah and, and the listeners, this might surprise you as well. Um I have said, I remember when I quit for two and a half years in twenty ten. I remember telling a group of people, I'm never drinking for the rest of my life. And I remember the couple of years after that, that God damn it, that backfired. So I don't say that. Um, I'm not quitting for the rest of my life. I would like to. That's uh, fingers crossed right now. That's a goal. But really, it it relieves the pressure, the stress uh, of that decision when it's it's one day at a time. Yes, I am looking forward to the future without alcohol. But like you said, Jeff, uh, it's really today. I don't want to think that far in the future. I don't even like the question of where do you see yourself in five years? Um, yeah, you know, I have found when I quit drinking, my mental energies are more present than ever. And that's a good thing. And uh, it can be challenging as well, right? To not depart from those emotions. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not too worried about the sobriety years, years, years down the road. Of course, it's a goal, but I actually don't think it's healthy when when I'm focusing on you know my deathbed sober. I don't even want to think about that. So I like how you said that. Jeff, what uh, what advice would you give to your younger self?
1: Oh, man, I almost hate this question.
0: <laughs> I would just, I would probably say that you're accepted
1: and uh, you don't need other people's approval and that you're, you can make yourself to be your own man. And, you know, there is hope. There's, there's reward if you stick through the tough times. You know, there were points in when my younger self was close to suicide, you know, just I suffered from depression badly for almost two decades, you know, and I got father issues, and <laughs> all that stuff, you know, and it's like, just stick it out. I mean, there's people out there who will love you and who will appreciate you. Um, You may not have found them yet, but they are there. And if you're honest with yourself and honest with others, you will find them and they will find you. You know, I find them more honest and transparent i am in life the more you know good people tend to come my way and i also get better at weeding out the ones who aren't yeah and setting boundaries you know so i mean i just think so much of my life i was living a lie or just wearing a mask and it just didn't get me anywhere it just it just didn't because i was crumbling on the inside um and what was the point of me wearing that mask for all those years and like acting like I had it together on the outside. Where did that really get me? It just forestalled a process that needed to happen. Sure. And I'm not saying you have to like break down in front of everybody. I mean, be choosy, you know, choose people who, you know, really love you or find a counselor or whatever, you know, get the stuff out. Cause every alcoholic that I've ever known, drug addict, whatever had stuff inside that they couldn't process, you know, from their abusive childhood or neglect or whatever you know, that they never dealt with. And I'm not saying we all drink for the same reasons. I don't know everybody and why you drink, but I can guarantee you there's some emotional baggage that's making it worse. Yeah. It's making it worse, harder for you to get the help you need. It's making it harder for you to live a fulfilling life.
0: Jeff, I can I can answer your rhetorical question of where did that get me wearing this mask of being, you know, not not true for for all this time where I got you is recognizing that an authentic life is is what you want to live. And that's the same thing with me that I couldn't keep that charade going and I want to be authentic. I want to be real. I'd rather have it messy and real, uh, you know, than, than perfect and fake. I love how you said that. Um, Well, yeah, you get the point, Jeff, we have reached the rapid fire round. could answer each one of these questions within 10 to 30 seconds that would be great are you ready let me take a deep breath <laughs> yeah i'm ready all right let's do this jeff what's the one thing you've learned about yourself since quitting drinking
1: that i'm i have worth
0: and i have value yeah absolutely what's your best sober moment
1: you know i think i j- just making that those benches i mean as crazy as that sounds because they weren't that significant but you know what, I made some benches, I donated them and hundreds of people are going to have a place to sit <laughs> that's not falling apart and that actually looks nice. And that made me feel really good. And you know, I've gotten a lot of compliments on them. I, a guy even wants to meet, hire me to build him a picnic table. So. Yeah,
0: great. <laughs> Jeff, uh, what's your favorite alcohol free drink? Coffee
1: a nice a nice uh, latte i don't do any of that flavored stuff just give me the straight you know espresso with uh with milk
0: listeners we're on zoom right now and i think you just took a coffee a cup of coffee or a sip of a cup of coffee right before (laughs) you said that uh jeff i got a light one for you here what's the point of life to have purpose i think
1: i mean i think there's a lot of people going through life without really a, a true purpose you know and for me it's family and and uh, legacy now, you know, and just loving people who are around me. You can't love everybody, but you can love deeply the ones who are right around you and you can be authentic. I want to live an authentic life. And for so many years, I feel like I did.
0: Yeah. What's your favorite eighties band?
1: <laughs> oh man, probably, probably
0: you too. Yeah. Okay. Jeff, you know, got
1: before a- they exploded and got got all big
0: okay if you had a pet armadillo what would you name it ice cream love it <laughs> if you uh, <laughs> pineapple on pizza yes or no no definitely oh. not okay and what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners
1: i would say there's another thing the reason i thought of ice cream is because i've been eat- i would like to stop eating as much ice cream as i'm eating because i was used to drinking every night before i go to bed like the ice cream helps replace that alcohol craving you know and so if you are trying to quit this is just a really simple practical thing carry around some candy especially if you know you're going to be in those situations or those time periods where um you usually drank because your body is going to be craving those carbs and sugar you know just a very simple thing but if you do it it will help you
0: yeah, I've often said that a majority of cravings is for the sugar that the alcohol contained itself and not, not alcohol, so I love that. And Jeff, before we depart, can you give listeners your own customized, you might need to ditch the booze if line?
1: You might need to ditch booze if you find yourself regretting things the next day or even the same day, things that you said to somebody else, things that you did and then tracing back seeing, well, I did have too much to drink, or maybe I had too much to drink the night before, and that's why I was irritable and grumpy, and I said something I really didn't wanna say. You know, you might have a problem if you're lashing out at other people, and if you can sit back and look at that situation and see, hey, that response really was out of proportion. That was uncalled for, but I did it anyway, and I almost couldn't, like, I couldn't help myself.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Jeff, that was fantastic. I really enjoyed chatting with you this morning. Uh, thank you for your time uh, on the Recovery Elevator podcast. I appreciate it.
1: I appreciate you doing this and having me on. And I, I hope you continue to have people tell their stories. I know it's helped me.
0: All right. Thank you, Jeff. Listeners, again, I want to make it clear the point of this podcast is to help people quit drinking and to not fight big alcohol. In fact, in episode, I think it was 390, I talk about the secret to change. And this is a quote from Socrates that says, the secret of change is to focus all of your energy, not on fighting the old, but on building the new, right? So I think a large part of departing from alcohol is a vibration thing. And if we were to fight big alcohol and and just build up all this hate inside of our body, grab the pitchforks and picket and riot and, and all that stuff, it would be a waste of time. In fact, it was Mother Teresa who said she would never participate in like a war on hunger walk or fighting terrorism because there's the equal amount of disproportionate energy on the other side. And you see this with protests and movements across the globe today that really not much change has occurred, especially the war on drugs. It's been a 40 to 45 trillion dollar waste of money. And I think the biggest takeaway there with the war on drugs is we can't castigate or punish addiction out of people. That just doesn't work. There's a tagline that we occasionally end this episode with. It says, recovery elevator, this isn't a no to alcohol, but a yes to a better life. And that right there summarizes why we don't want to go after big alcohol. It's a waste of our time. In fact, I've seen some Instagram accounts that uh, that's part of their message is to go, hey, this is bullshit. Ah, How could you do this? And there have been times I have felt that way. But again, I want to focus my energy on building a better life. Yes, occasionally we want to call out some level 10 type bullshit, which I feel we've done today, but also I want to weave in there a solution. So here's the internet. This is a new tool that we're using today in 2022 is when this episode comes out. If somebody from Big Alcohol is listening, eh, please don't take a defensive posture or feel attacked. Yes, we're calling out some level 10 bullshit in our opinion, but... Also, I'm coming with solutions on this. We want to work together in cleaning up the planet. And as Gandhi said, you need to be the change that you want to see. I think Big Alcohol and us, we can agree there's some level 10 type bullshit going on on this planet. But we all have to make that internal change, that internal river crossing as the Buddha called it, if we want to make the world a better place. Okay, once again, Recovery Elevator, this isn't a no to alcohol, but a yes to a better life. I love you guys.